Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a pair of musicians with interesting backgrounds, one in computer engineering, the other in stand-up comedy. It's Vagabond and Jabuki. Now, Vagabond, a.k.a. New Yorker Letizia Tamko, just released her third album under the name, and as you'll hear in this chat, it had been four years since her last. But Sorry I Haven't Called was worth the wait, and another cool stylistic leap. Tamco's first album, Infinite Worlds, felt like a fresh take on indie rock. Her second, a self-titled record from 2019, dipped more into varied electronic pop. But Sorry I Haven't Called, which was partly produced by former Vampire Weekend guy Rostam, takes things even a step further with an eye toward something even bigger and bolder. And even though the songs were inspired by a dark time in Tamco's life, they turned out incredibly buoyant and upbeat. Check out a little bit of Lexicon right here. Now, Jabuki Young-White is best known as a stand-up comic, writer, and actor. You may have experienced his jokes on Big Mouth or seen him as a correspondent on The Daily Show or acting in Only Murders in the Building. If you're a fan of this podcast, you may have heard him in conversation with Jonathan Pierce of the Drums a couple of years back. But in the past couple of years, Jabuki has set his last name aside and worked hard on his debut album, which just came out. It's called All Who Can't Hear Must Feel, and it's an incredibly diverse set of songs that touches on a bunch of genres, rock, hyperpop, jungle, without sounding beholden to any one in particular. Jabuki played almost every note of every instrument on the record, and as you'll hear, he spent a lot of time getting it just right. Check out a little bit of cranberry sauce right here. In this chat, Jabuki and Vagabond talk about how creating is like molting, about how music can feel more timeless than comedy, about doming your audience, and about how Janet Jackson is mother. Enjoy. So where are you in the world right now? Well, I just got back to L.A. I was just traveling a lot. I went to Lisbon, and then I was in New York. How was that? It was good. I'm trying to be someone who doesn't live for work. Speak to that. Amen to that. It's hard. It's harder than you think. You yeah, know? especially when the thing you do for work is, like, so joyful and beautiful. Exactly. It's so easy to make that your entire life because music is a beautiful thing. Exactly. And it takes you all over the world. So it's like, how can I complain? Um, but for sustainability reasons, I need to get a life. Like, I really do. <laughs> I need to get a life that's not just like making records and touring. <laughs> that's so real. Yeah. Portugal is like having a little a little moment. I think Lisbon might be the new Barcelona. <laughs> I first discovered it when I played Primavera which is like 
probably my favorite festival in the world. Like, really? And they have one in Barcelona and they have one <laughs> in Porto, Portugal, which is like little low key. So ever since I discovered that in 2018, I've been going to Portugal like once or twice a year. Really? Yeah. What's your favorite thing about Portugal? The food. What is the food like? It's like almost Mediterranean diet vibe, but it's also just not a luxury to eat good food the way that it is in America and a lot of places. It's like baseline, you're allowed to eat good food because you're a human and you deserve it. It's always so wild going to a place and being like, oh, I don't have to try hard to like treat myself to nice things. Exactly. But anyway, where are you? Is this your studio? No, this is my apartment. Yeah. I got a little studio just exclusively for music stuff. Um, I used to, you were in the little like home studio thing. Yeah. 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 You were one, there were not too many people that (laughs) saw that. You, you saw my inner chambers. It was a great setup. Thank you. So you now record in a separate place. Yeah. So now I have a separate little studio, really cheap, like one of those things where it's like, this is a place for non-musician artists, mm. wink, wink. And like everyone in there is doing live acoustic drums all the time. Like, wow. <laughs> like it's special. It, I, regardless of whatever I'm doing, will, if I have the time, make like a couple beats a day or like yeah. just mess around just because it's like calming. Yeah. It's like therapeutic. I really like it. Even outside of thinking about, like you said, like, oh, I need to make a record or this needs right. to be for something. Right. But then the just inspiration by osmosis that you get when you're just walking past and someone's like working on like a drill beat or like something or like, oh, that hi-hat pattern is really interesting. Just like getting a little whiff of inspiration on the way to do stuff. It's so easy to forget that like community is the reason. (laughs) Like, it's like I started making music because the people around me were making music. Like it wasn't even this thing that I was like, okay, I'm going to become musician it was just like everyone was making music so you're just inspired by that the proximity to like great art you know that is so true i've been wanting to catch up with you because i feel like the last time we had like a long catch-up you you hadn't started putting out the singles yet no i hadn't no it was still very i was still doing like mixing wow let's get into it (laughs) (laughs) i love making music so much i'm it's always been like a thing. Even before I understood how to use a DAW or DAW or whatever, I was like doing little pencil beats or like mm. tapping shit mm. out, you know, like the, it, it just feels kind of in my bones a little bit yes. to do that. And then the like industry slash marketing aspect of it, that has been the revelation where it's like, oh, this is very interesting how like all this stuff works and how it works at the highest level. Because I feel like there is no music middle class, really, in the same way that there is with like TV and film or the music middle class is like really shrinking. Yes. You know, I I wouldn't go so far as to say it doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 Because you come from like also like TV, film and like going into music in I'm talking business, not even so much like artistically. It's a different world and you kind of have to like adjust emotionally i imagine 100 percent. it's like man how was it for you especially coming from like a diy indie like sort of self-startup point of view even though like you did have community it's still like when you describe how you were going about it it's not like you're 
uncle was friends with Scooter Braun and you just like got, <laughs> you know, it's not like that. Exactly. It was more like, hey, want to play my kitchen to the people? <laughs> I mean, I think with this new album, with Sorry I Haven't Called, I'm experiencing everything completely new because it's been four years since I put out an album. Wow. So a lot has changed about like music. A lot has changed about music industry. A lot of change about me as a person. Yeah. So I'm kind of in like a whole new landscape and I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around it. It's for the most part, it's been good. Like I've been, I'm really proud of the work. Like why else would we put it out? Right. You know, why else would we share it? But there are different tiers of like standing by it. There's almost a tier of like, I, I have felt that feeling of like, whew, like I finished, I ran the marathon. I literally can't work on this anymore. So here you guys go. And then right. there's like a, I've worked on this to what I think is it's like, this is the best. It Like I didn't abandon it, which is also like a valid it's valid to like be like, I'm done working on this. I want to move on to my next thing. Right, right. But this record, even when I was done with it, I didn't actually finish it. Like I actually kept going, which was grueling and mentally mm. not torturous, but it was like really hard to work on something for this long. When How long was the process? Actively, yeah. two years. Whoa. But I'd been writing these songs for like three and a half. Dang. It's like, it's like being a farmer and like, it's harvest season, you know, it's, right. it's like, before that, you're just, you're pouring into the land. You're just like, I'm tired. I'm not seeing anything yet. And then once it comes out, you have to wait to harvest it. You just kind of sit and you wait right. and see what it does in the world. Like, so I'm kind of excited for that part of the process. Yeah. I feel exactly what you're saying. And then the thing that excites me the most about releasing music is that it is kind of constantly in the world. Like it yeah. never fully goes away the way that say something like a stand-up special. Like yeah. you might like revisit that, but you don't revisit it in the same way where music is just evergreen. It has multiple lives and mm. it like with the passage of time kind of grows in shape and size mm. and matures. It's like a wine, you know, yes. like I think that is something that's so cool and so special is that you're sitting with the harvest, but it's not even like, oh, here are my crops and like this is the season for it. It's kind of like a forever yeah. thing. And yeah. that's really, that's really cool. I feel like when we do interviews with like writers, they ask questions that are a little different than when artists are speaking to each other, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Just like, do you have a song on your album that was the most difficult to figure out man honestly i think it was one of the ones that i played for you it's the last track on the album i went through so many different iterations of that track and then there was like a sample thing that was the thing where i was like oh, hey yeah. do you think but then i was like i'm just gonna take it out but that one took a lot of figuring out and like yeah. even during the mix and like the export and everything there were like 170 something tracks on that so what? yeah it was just like that was a lot it was wow. <laughs> yeah that one was like physically a lot i think lyrically a lot mm -hmm. i packed a lot into that into that song so how do you feel about it now now that i listen to it you know what it's funny that's one where when i'm listening back to the project sometimes i'm just like 
Had to make that. Needed to make that one. Glad I made that one. Can't read. Not doing it again. <laughs> yeah, like. I know exactly what you're talking about. Do you have a song like that on your project? So the crazy thing is I don't. That's really I've never experienced that before. What? It's almost like a psychedelic experience or something. Cause I think one of the things about Sorry I Haven't Called is that like there's so much levity to it. Mm. Like there is complexity. I mean, it's like, it's not not about my grief, but it's definitely, not, I didn't write about grief at all. So uh, like the levity of it is almost a gift. It's, wow. I'm able to listen to it because it has so much lightness and so much, even the, the complexity and the depth that it has, I'm feeling it with lightness. I don't even know how that happened. I mean, it sounds like from what you're describing that you were writing and creating from a point of view of having processed. Yes. And I think viewing it from like a place of being on the other side of it, which is so cool. Right. Things happen over time. It's like the evolution of a thought. It's like just to have time, I get to actually see what the project needs to be, what the music needs to be. I think a lot about making making music that will stand the test of time. I'm like, really, that's like really important to me. I want to make something that qualifies like as like essential almost or like timeless and quality, mm -hmm. even if it's forward thinking and experimental, you know? What are the things about that music that gives it a timeless or essential feeling? Most of the time it's experimental, mm -hmm. but it's also like, it's also classic. Like I think of a song that I think is like that is empty, like Janet Jackson. Mm. That song is like one of the, it's like in my canon, right? Mm. Much older song. I can't remember when it came out, but you hear it and you're like, this sounds like this could be a Kalela track. Like right, right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And you think about how that was made maybe in the 90s, early 90s, late, late 80s. Yes. And that, how does it stand that? that way. I don't, I don't know. Going back to the farming metaphor, I mm -hmm. feel like that ties into the farming as well. Yeah. Like when you are harvesting something, there might be times where nothing shoots up at the time mm -hmm. that you're expecting it to. And then like down the road, yeah. there's like this huge, you leave it and you come back, you abandon it. And then you realize that there's been an entire ecosystem created around that. Yeah. I do feel that way listening to like Janet Jackson, where I'm like the amount of people you birthed like <laughs> during this time is cra it's insane like that really is mother yeah and that term is not to be taken like no. when it comes to janet at <laughs> all not, like not that's not all. just that's just not any mother like that's yes. the mother of the mothers Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. 
It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. I'm curious if putting music out in this way that you have has like, especially because you come, you're like musical and you have like a musical family. Was mm-hmm. your dad a DJ or something? Yeah, my dad was a DJ like, growing up. Yeah. It, like when you have music as a part of your life like that, but no one really knows that you because I feel like people don't know that you're like an amazing producer. And oh you're, my God. I think generally people don't, they forget that there are people out here like producing, you know, like their own music. Like, but especially because you come from like TV and comedy, like people may not know that you actually are doing this stuff. You're playing instruments, you're, you're like producing your music. Has it felt like people are on board, like that they like see because the project is impressive, like <laughs> to, to like pop out and to be like, no, I really do this. Like, <laughs> thank you. I, you know, it's kind of like how you said, I have to wait until it right. is out in the world and then people can digest it. Because honestly, where I'm at right now I is like this weird limbo with it coming out. But there's already a place where, like, just before this, I was like, I need to go to the studio and I need to, like, pick up some stuff so that I can get my audio correct. Mm-hmm. And um, I, like, opened up a few tracks. that I, Like, I'm so happy that I took such a long time to release this one because there was so much that was done in service of the project that needed to be done that made the creation time extend out past what I expected it to be. But even looking beyond that, I just learned so much. Like being in the studio and looking over to May's shoulder, like yeah. oh. I did not know how to EQ before I watched that. And then I was yes. just watching him in real time and being like, oh, sometimes it really is simple. But then there were other times where I was like, yeah, no, I got to step my shit up because <laughs> I have I have no idea what he just did. And I'm just like nodding like, mm-hmm, right, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> You're like, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Alex Tume is someone that we have in common. Yeah. We, hung, we hung out at his studio. <laughs> yes, yes. Kenseltown East. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, what an amazing, I mean, an amazing mixing engineer. So did Alex do the whole record? So Neil Pogue did two tracks and Alex did the rest of them. And I love Neil so much, but just Mm -hmm. being in New York, it just made so much more sense, like being able to go to the studio and like mix in person and do stuff like that. Um, So yeah, that was great. But to really answer the question, the people like getting it or seeing that, a part of me almost likes being like, yeah, this thing existed outside of your gaze and it's been going this entire time. And if you're with it, you're with it. If you're not, right. you're not. I, I'm not 
begging you to see me in my totality because mm. you might not even have that ability to do that. And then, yes. uh, right. So then I'm not going to expend energy trying to get you to see me when I could just use that energy to further develop my vision of myself and what I want to be doing. Absolutely. Um, but then also so much of the music business is begging people to see you. So. Oh my God. <laughs> Literally, I describe I describe release day as both underwhelming and overwhelming at the same time. It's like there's so much lead up to this day. But if you think about it, what can actually even happen on that day? And mm. it's like, albums are not it's not a it's not a monolith right it doesn't come together in like this tiny vacuum necessarily it's like for me making a record is like hundreds of tiny attempts yes. <laughs> like it's like i'm searching 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 i've made hundreds of attempts and this is what i got i've been confused by my own work i've been <laughs> uncertain by my uncertain about my own work in the process and so the album being done is just that's the arrival point so that's i think that makes it easier to like not need everyone to like get it it's like that is the destination is that it's it happened it's finished i did it <laughs> also i think the interesting thing is with releasing literally anything is people are presently experiencing your past XYZ amount of time creative efforts yes. and they're interpreting it as happening presently, currently. And a lot of the time you're like, I'm actually onto something else yeah. right now. Like yes. I created this thing almost as a way of molting where mm -hmm. it's like, I'm putting all of my current self into this. And then through that, I'll be able to grow and move on yeah. even further than that and explore right. beyond that with stand-up or with music because those kind of mirror each other in a way i always view whenever something is done i'm like okay that is a beautiful exoskeleton of who i was at that time and yes. then now it's time to develop a new exoskeleton and then also the process of releasing it you are kind of just there um with all of your squishy insides showing your oh exoskeleton to someone so there it is like yes. very vulnerable so at vulnerable. a certain point yeah it's so vulnerable so vulnerable how do you navigate that well i feel a little bit fragile right now like i'm i feel a little bit like a newborn you know i experienced some like life-changing things and that have you know really informed how i see this whole thing again but i think sorry i haven't called being my third album makes me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm like nestled in this position now. Album one, I didn't think about anything. Like, it was like, happy accident. Album two, I thought too much about everything. Mm. And that created some internal struggle. And then album three, especially four years apart, I almost feel like all the expectations may have washed away too. Mm. It's been a long enough time that maybe even some people forgot I made music. I am now coming out and that's one thing that I've, you know, I played Pitchfork and I was seeing a lot of artists and they were like, it feels like you just popped out of nowhere with this like visual world and like dance music. And I'm like, that is what, it, speaking to like people feeling like it's your current self, there is that thing too when you like, 
I labor over this stuff and, and I present it when I'm ready. And you almost feel like if you're not Frank Ocean, you can't really do that. But <laughs> you, you can decide, right, to do that. And yeah. I think it actually influences what people think of you and the expectations they have of you. If, if I take four years in between records, which is not something I want to make a habit of, I think I want like fans to be like, okay, she can take her time as long as she delivers something good. That's the kind of like thing I'm trying to build. Mm -hmm. As long as the fans trust that I will give them something good when it's ready, that's like a career I want. Yeah. I think you hit on something that is super important, but can take a while to learn uh, is like building the career that you want and how the decisions that you make kind of inform that. I knew what it was like to do comedy, release stuff, and then at that time not realize like whatever I release or put out, that is what people are going to be reacting to moving yeah. forward. And not even necessarily that you paint yourself into a corner, but like that is the material that you're giving people. So you have to be very, int you can't just like put whatever out yeah. and then kind of assume that people will see the full picture. Like you really have to train people how yeah. to engage with your work. And I think that that's Absolutely. what you're doing is like exactly that. Yeah, I think the visual world is like an extension of that too. When I think of like how I make my videos or like my album covers and all that stuff and like even merch, like, I think, you know, because we make music and it's audible, visually, we have this opportunity to tell people what to feel about it or what to right. think about it or where to like, where to place it and file it in their brains. Like when you have an impactful music video, you have an impactful album cover or you have an impactful, impactful merch. Like I like telling those stories too, because not everyone's going to just get it from the music and right. people assign their own stuff to it. And that's okay. But I will lead the people to exactly what I want them to think. And being intentional about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do you feel about touring? Are you going to tour? What do you, what are your thoughts on live performance? So great question. I'm doing like a string, like a few shows where I'm like doing some stand up and then doing some music and kind of just like, yeah, going to open for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm excited to do it just because there have been times where I've been doing stand up, especially if I'm like in pattern where yeah. I'm just like going up, going up, going up. And I'm like, this is great, but I want to move the audience in a way that I cannot do with just words. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's that from the stand up side. And then from the other side, there have been times where I've seen, I've gone to shows and the musician will be like, in between songs just say something like <laughs> water and like everybody's like ah! like <laughs> dying, dying laughing as he like takes a sip of water or something yes. and i'm like man like this crowd is just so present and i think music can command a presence from people and a like level of being tapped in mm -hmm. that sometimes people lose sight of with stand-up. Like stand-up can be so rhythmic sometimes. And like- oh, Interesting. The intonations really can tell people like, laugh here, laugh wow. here. But then there are times where I'm like, but are you really like genuinely, truly belly laughing? Or do you just know that you're supposed to laugh right oh, now? Oh, wow. It's That's like, so interesting. Yeah. It, it felt like there was this seal that I was trying to like poke through and figure out how to, how to do that. And I'm excited to see what 
music can do. I think a lot of musicians wish they were funny on stage. Like, I think a lot of musicians, you know, like when you said about that, here's this water and everyone starts laughing. They almost want, la- like, it's almost like, <laughs> I, I think even for myself, I'm like, I would, uh, I would do anything to be funny. <laughs> mm, on stage mm. but all i know how to do are play these instruments like and it's like i wish i could make you laugh and you know th- like there's the old saying where it's like comedians want to be musicians and musicians want to be comedians yeah. as someone who has now crossed over to the <laughs> other side and i'm like in both i yeah. really tr- i've thought so much about it this is what i think it is i think that mu- musicians feel too vulnerable and wish that they could yes. get the crowd to laugh because in that moment of laughter, you are synced up and you yes. know they're responding exactly how you want them to respond. Whereas with music, it, you're so naked, like yes. you have no defenses. It's just you there. And then with comedy, sometimes it can feel like you're not there at all. I feel like that's also why people have responded so much to specials that aren't like necessarily just joke, joke, joke. They're like getting into something darker. Mm -hmm. But I think as a comedian, it gets to a point where you're like the laughter uh, takes on like this soured timbre. Like Mm -hmm. there's just something to it where it's like, uh, I don't think this is enough. Like I'm not feeling enough. Yeah. Co- connection or at least I'm projecting onto all comedians and musicians <laughs> but, but that's at least like what I've experienced where like music sense. is so vulnerable but comedy I'm like it, it, there is a vulnerability to it but there's also the constant reassurance that yeah. if they're laughing then they're enjoying this it's so funny that I haven't heard it said exactly like that but it makes sense because I I do think being on stage is like like it's like doming. You're like doming the audience. <laughs> you have them in the palm of your hand without even speaking. And that is so powerful. And you're like, and with comedy, like you're describing, if if there are these like intonations and stuff, you're also like dominating when they think they, like being a performer is like being a dom. And it's yeah. funny that like the bit that makes a difference is the vulnerability aspect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, um, have you seen the Renaissance tour? No. Have you? I have, yes. Oh my God. And talk about being a dom, like how much (laughs) present control Beyonce has in the moment to the extent that you're going into it knowing you're about to see Beyonce. Yeah. Like that's the thing is I go, it's not like I'm not expecting to be impressed. It's actually the opposite. It's that I know I'm going to be impressed because I'm going to see Beyonce. Beyonce. Right. But then you're there and it's like somehow this is even more Beyonce than the Beyonce I thought (laughs) I was about to Beyonce she's so good and has so much control Mm -hmm. that it's almost inspirational like the ability to be able to be such a good in the moment present performer that people actually forget because that's the thing is I'll see people sometimes and I'm like the goodwill that you have cultivated with your audience is Mm -hmm compounding everything that you're doing in the moment and like it's not to say that it's not great but it's just like you have a history of all this stuff and that's carrying you but then Beyonce being able to like make you forget the goodwill is like that's that's crazy like when she came out and she was like New York and everybody starts like (laughs) going crazy I started laughing because I'm like 
top it's, dom. Right, right. Like <laughs> you know it's coming and you're still surprised by it. Like wow. I, could, I think that's one thing I missed so much in the pandemic is like you get so much inspiration on the uh, like on stage performance from watching other performers. Like just even I can imagine seeing Beyonce, I'd be like, oh, she like holds for applause or she holds, she knows you're going to clap for her when she says New York. <laughs> and so, whereas like, you know, you know, in my earlier stage for just being awkward, being like, I literally can't look these people in the eye. So let's just get to the music, you know? Right. And, and, and now like, you know, moving on to like, I'm doing more dancing, I'm doing more choreo. Like it is to bring that, how can I feel in the room with all of you? That's really difficult with music. Cause I, I think like, you know, with the laughter of a good joke or something, you feel everyone there. But as you're playing your whole song, especially for me, people are really attentive and it's good. But sometimes I'm on stage and like, are you guys having fun? Right. Is this fun for you? But most of the time they're probably just mesmerized. They're just enjoying it. But until the claps, there's no audible like affirmation that you're doing a good job, you know? Yes, yes. I think that's like a part of the mechanism that I was talking about. But that is... um. I think that's also something that I felt on stage too, is like when you do the same material so much, um, you can almost like divorce yourself from being in the moment. I'm sure like by the end of a tour, you've played the song yes. in that iteration of the set so many times. And it's like the challenge of being present and staying in the moment is, yeah. that's the job. Like That's true. That's, that's true. the thing. Do you have any I... things that like you try to do to pull yourself into the moment, like before you perform or while you're performing? Well, that's kind of why I started incorporating movement and dancing into the stage show, because I can really drift off and think about like my taxes. Like, I don't know, like I could, <laughs> I could drift off and think about whether I turn the stove off or whatever, if I'm just playing instruments, because it's something that I do quite frequently, but I've been really interested in adding uh, dance and movement, even if the movement's just, I'm walking across the stage and I want the audience to wonder if I've lost my mind, if I'm crazy, even if it's like kind of performance already, it adds a little bit of stakes for me because actually the like instrument playing, I'm like at a point where like, I've done it so much that I can zone out, but my presence these days is coming from moving. Cause that's something that I didn't really do before. I'm building in moments in the set where I step away from my keys and I step away from the guitar and I like move. And that makes the stakes feel high for me. And I'm like, you literally have to be in your body. And so this, the Sorry I Haven't Called tour show is all about the stakes feeling high for me and almost like performing a ritual on stage. Like wow. every night, like I'm having a physical, like experience outside of my fingers making chords and yes. my, my voice singing i almost want to get off stage like exhausted from the physical ritual because yes. if you're in your body then you're present right you can't really zone out mm. so movement the short answer is movement that's also so interesting thinking of and knowing you, how you started as a computer science major, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, computer I think engineering. It, computer engineering. No, it's like even more intense. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think, um, also, I'm 
ready for the vagabond pedals. Whatever you decide to engineer, I'm there. Yes. I'm like like, teenage engineering, call me. That sort of, at least from what I'm reading, that influencing your live show where it's like, you can almost think of these things as like, this is the code that I do for chords. This is the code that I do for singing. This is what I do with my voice. And it becomes like this raw data it's like a MIDI sequence, basically, yes. you know, yeah, where you're totally. just like, this is what I hit every single time. And yes. it can become so cerebral that you do feel a little detached. Exactly. And I will say that this album is vocally more challenging than my last. Like, this, like, pop style singing is hard. Like, I used to, like, I come from, in, like, India. I used to scream into a microphone, you know? Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I need to preserve my voice. I need to hit these notes. I'm warming up and coming down. When you come from like punk music, you're not warming up and coming down. <laughs> like it's like I'm doing 20 minute warm downs after shows. So it's like there is there is an athleticism to this record stage thing. But then I get off stage and I almost have I feel like I didn't just perform for the audience. I also like did something for myself. Like we wow. both got something out of it. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think that also coming into the, back to the Dom um, mm-hmm. of it all, that is what, right. it, and a part of the Dom is kind of being like, I know that in enjoying myself, you get enjoyment because you exactly. came to see me exactly. enjoy myself. Well, I'm excited to see your shows. I Yeah. I can't wait. I'm glad you're doing them. Yeah. I needed to do at least a couple. Like, yeah. we'll see how moving forward i kind of want to like at least put out an ep or like something else while if i were to like go on an extended tour kind of thing um just because as much as i love this project i also love like just good dancey like high energy stuff like in in person right and i'll continue to like play with the like stand up and music of it all i think that's That's cool. I mean, speaking of that, I'm going to ask you a question that people always ask us before the album's even out. And it it kind of makes me anxious, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because I do want to know, are you already working on new music? I I never stop. Yeah. Yeah. Like going into this project, I think I sorted through like somewhere between 40 and 60 demos. Um, a lot of them are trash, but like, yeah, but like an idea that informs something else. And, um, now after this project, it went from like those early demos being like 30 something seconds or like maybe a minute or whatever. Whereas now I kind of just like finish like a three minute song, toss it, finish like a three minute song, toss it. I've always been really inspired, but like last project, I wasn't as stringent about it, but I have just been creating every sound from scratch. I got like studio time and I was like, I just want to record everything. So I just like did every note on the piano, did every hit of the drums and just like stocked everything. Um, And I think I'm really interested right now in just like world building with sound and kind of doing that. Like Sophie is really like the North North Star with, with that. And like how she literally created like a oh my God. audio language where you hear and it's like permeated music yep. 
today where it's like you hear a song it's like that's Sophie yeah right there on the snare that's where that comes from that's the dream I mean so iconic one of my greatest like feeling scene moments is when you tweeted I think someone had tweeted about like female producers or something and you were like don't forget about Vagabond like the yeah and I was like I felt so seen because I know we had talked about that before and when I think of Sophie and I think of like pr- you know producers and and how often you know, people were like, yeah, Rosalia comes her own vocals. And like, I think it can be hard for people to see um, those things. But like, like sound design and building worlds that are like, you hear it and you don't even have to know who it is. That is like, the, for me, the only sign of success is like building your own lexicon that yes. people can pick that out in the world and be like, that is no one can do that thing exactly like that but that person right exactly that's the goal have you been working on music since i'm trying i'm really trying to like beat the allegations that i only write two songs a year (laughs) 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 but i am i'm a i'm a slow one but i think and i'm not someone who has a lot to choose from i kind of decide that these are the songs and we're going to work on them until they're fucking good enough like right yeah (laughs) um so i'm trying to uh write more music more quickly um Mm. not even quickly just like more frequently Mm -hmm. it doesn't come that naturally to me but now that i i have this album set up then i can leisurely just keep putting ideas down that i'll revisit in maybe a year and be like oh that was good what's the vibe what's been inspiring you recently where where are you operating from also when you make new stuff do you feel like it's a subconscious or a conscious effort it's definitely a conscious effort yeah i think i'd make more stuff if it was subconscious (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm still really on my like dance wave i mean sorry i haven't called it's not a dance album at all but i I've been kind of flirting with, as I've gotten, you know, better at like DJing and I've been DJing out more often, I've been just in the higher BPM world, Um, but still just like beautiful chords and good drums. But I think I'm like, I'm still continuing to live in that, in that world. (laughs) I saw a tweet the other day that said 140 BPM is the new 120 BPM. Just bear with me, I'm going to nerd out about BPM for two seconds. There are songs that are like, what's that Ariana Grande weekend song? That is like a straight up pop song, but it's like 96 BPM. Mm -hmm. And and I'm so, you know, thinking of 140 being the new 120, I'm like, a song at 96 could feel like you are literally in the club. I'm so fascinated by, if you're not making drum and bass, like my song, Do Your Worst, like I think that's 150, 152 or something. It's like, if you're working with Jungle Beats, cool. But if you're, you can make a really up-tempo pop song at a low BPM. And I'm kind of into exploring that too. Yeah, yeah. There, there's that computer engineering again. The meticulousness and the, like, how, how do I crack that equation? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I do this plus this and make it equal right. something right. else? When I would just, like, mess around before I was, like, thinking of releasing stuff, a lot of the stuff that I was making was just stuff that I grew up listening to, which was a lot of, like, juke, footwork, like, super hot, like, 160, 170 BPM wow. kind of stuff, like, really frenetic drums and stuff. But, and I've kind of like been revisiting that because for me, it's very subconscious. Like 
I almost wish that I was more conscious when I was making, <laughs> making stuff. Like I can only, and I think that's the beautiful thing is that with standup it is, and with writing, it's like, you can't accidentally write a good joke. Like uh, you have to be intentional every uh, step of the way. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can accidentally make a good song. Like 100%. if you get out of your own way and just like let yourself go, you can make great music that way. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast, and thanks to Jabuki and Vagabond for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all the goodness at TalkHouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.